Tonight, as we study this subject, I want you to know something. To me, it's a sad subject. It's a subject I would rather not preach. Uh, I want to go on record tonight and say this. I'm proud to be an American. It's still the freest country in the world. I don't think you ought to complain unless you vote. That's my opinion, okay? I think that as Christians, we ought to be the best citizens in town. I think we ought to obey the law because we are Christians. Uh, I believe that we are one nation under God. I believe in saluting the flag. I believe in serving my country. I can remember I thought I was going to parachute into Cuba at one point in time. Thank God we didn't have to, but I thought I was going to. But the Bible tells me this wonderful country is going to change. And in some cases we've seen it change even within our own lifetime. So tonight when we look at this subject, I want you to know, as far as I'm concerned, it's very hard to be brought back to reality. Let's bow our heads together. Father, thank you so much that you have given us your word that we might be able to understand what is real and what is false. What is deception by Satan and what is your ways? Oh, please, Father, tonight, make things clear. And through your Holy Spirit, write on our hearts every word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, let's begin by turning over to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. We covered part of it. Now we're going to cover the rest of it. And in Revelation chapter 13, I want to begin with verse 11. Now I know I got glasses here somewhere. Revelation chapter 13 and beginning with verse 11. I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. He exercised all the power of the first beast before him, and causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. He doth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. He deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by those means of those miracles which he had the power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by the sword and did live. And he gave power, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, save that he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, last night, we studied the mark in the forehead. What is the mark of the beast? The mark of the beast is, she said it, but it's not right, so somebody else. Huh? Let me repeat myself so I say it correctly. What is the mark of the beast? Not who's the beast. What's the mark? Sunday. Very clear. They state it, don't they? Okay, so the mark of the beast... In the forehead, what does this mean? In your mind. mind. Where is God's mark? It's also in the mind. They're going to seal us in the forehead, right? So the seal of God is in the forehead and the seal of the beast is in the forehead. What does that really mean? Directly behind your forehead is the frontal lobe. This is where you make decisions. This is where God writes his law. And so, what is then the mark? The mark is, which one are you going to follow? 
you make a decision to either be loyal to the Creator or to be loyal to the beast. It's that simple, okay? Now, tonight we're going to study what is this enforcer and what about the mark in the hand. And we're going to discover something. In the Bible, particularly the right hand represents work. Are you with me? And we're going to find in relationship a mark that affects work. And we're going to see what it has. So, interestingly enough, what does the Bible say? There is a beast that rises up out of where? Out of the earth, isn't it? Where do all the other beasts come from? Out of the sea. Now, sea represents people, multitudes, nations, right? And, of course, in the Bible, the first reference we have to the earth, it was without form and void. So here the Bible is indicating there is going to be another power in the end days that's going to come up in an area that really isn't populated like the rest of the world. Are you with me? And so as we begin to look at this, water equals people, and then if water equals populated, then the earth would equal what? Unpopulated area. Now, as we discover... John saw another beast rise up out of the earth about the time that the beast of of verse 1 went into captivity. Let's go back and read it. Verse 10. And here we find the first, the beast that has the wound that is healed, it describes it and then it gets into verse 10 and it says, He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. So the church had slain more than 50 million people, had led people into captivity. And here it says, it's going to be led into captivity. Was it? Yes, by General Berthier. And of course, the Pope even died in captivity. And so now we see one going down, but then he says, about the same time they're going down, I see another one coming up. This is very significant as we look at this. This beast power, which can be no other power than the Roman papacy, I want you to notice something. The United States declared the independence in when? 1776. It voted the Constitution in? 87, adopted the Bill of Rights in, and it was fully recognized as a separate world power by 1798. Now, Pope Pius X, in 1775, wrote a book, and the book he wrote was about the impending crisis in France. If we cannot stop this crisis, it will serve as a very deadly blow to the church. When was this? 1775. About the same time, a year later, 1776, what happened? Do you see as one is beginning to go down, the other one is coming up. All right. Now we find that it was first recognized completely as a world power in 1798. What also happened in 1798? General Berthier marched into the Vatican and took the Pope captive and the church seemed to be dead. Do you understand what John was saying here is one is going this way. The other one is coming this way. Would you like to guess what was the first country in the entire world that recognized the United States as a separate world power? France. The very kingdom that Pope Pius X had wrote about. And so as we begin to understand what's happening, we see one going down and the other one rising up. Reading Pope Pius's words in 1775, Pope Paul, uh, Pope Paul said this, 
Modernism changes with the age to conform with the age. The Trinity parents responsible for the perversion known as modernism are one. Its religious ancestor is the Protestant Reformation. Number two, its philosophical parent is enlightenment. Number three, its political pedigree comes from the French Revolution. This is what he wrote in relationship to Pope Pius's book when Pope Paul read it. As we begin to understand what's he talking about, the Protestant Reformation was its religious ancestor, and it grew out of the French Revolution, and did not the Protestants claim to have new light? Age of light, modernism. Now, we know that Columbus sailed the ocean blue in the year of 1492. Yeah, we all learned that in school, didn't we? When they came here, were they glad to be here? Yes, they were. They thought that for once they had found a country without a king and a church without a pope. And they thought they could have freedom. And it began to grow silently. You know, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, and that among these is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. How many of you remember Dr. Martin Luther King? He visited Washington, D.C., and went and talked to the House. And he stood up and read this. And then he said, Do you believe it? And unanimously they said, Yes. He said, then live up to it. Hello? You know, our words were our own worst enemy. Amen? In relationship to that. But folks, isn't it true that we all are created with certain rights and it's guaranteed under the Constitution of the United States? Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuge of your teeming shores, send these, the homeless, the tempest, the toss to me. I lift up my lamp beside a golden door. Where do we find those words? Statue of Liberty. By the way, does anybody know who gave us the Statue of Liberty? This is all an accident. Isn't it amazing how history proves out exactly what God says? It's just wonderful. Silently, like a silent seed, we grew into a nation, George Alfred Townsend said, and gradually we did begin to grow. Emerging amidst the silence of the earth, daily adding to its power and strength, Dublin National. You know, I state without question the problem with the United States of America is the loose immigration laws of the American Indian. I know, just let it sink in, it's okay. This beast represents a what? A nation. It rises from the earth. In other words, it is a new nation, never to existed before. It wasn't something that somebody took over and began to rule different, right? The nation is at when? The end times. And the world's most powerful nation at the end times. So we discover, has it become the most powerful? Absolutely. The most powerful nation in the world. You know, we look at this. I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb. lamb. And he speaks as a dragon. We have always claimed to be one nation under God. Now, some of us say we've always claimed to be a Christian nation. That's not exactly true because many of our founding forefathers really weren't Christian, but they did believe in God the Father as a result of it. But it would claim to be a Christian nation with Christian principles. Isn't it true? It is, isn't it? As it's done. You know, I had somebody stop me here one day and said, Jack, what about verse 13? He does great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Yeah, what's the problem? 
Anybody remember World War II? And the little skirmish we had with Japan? If that wasn't fire from heaven, I don't know what you'd call it. It had never been done in the history of the entire world. And it was done by the United States of America. And thank God it's never happened since. But that verse has already been fulfilled, folks. It's been fulfilled that they caused something that brought the world to a standstill. Everyone was amazed at what happened. Lamb-like, not a beast to pray. It would be a young nation and a Christian nation. Wow. He would also do what? Speak as a... <laughs> as we look at this, the lamb represents who? And the dragon represents? So this nation would start out as a Christian-type nation, standing for Christian principles, but the Bible says it's going to change and speak like a dragon. Wow. Old Rome and New Rome. Some people say, wow, Jack, you're really kind of stretching here, aren't you? How many of you have ever been to the Vatican? Huh? Some of you? Okay. How many of you have ever been to Washington, D.C.? I'm going to tell you something. If the same guy didn't build both buildings, they both went to the same architectural school. Hello? Have you ever noticed that before? Anybody tell you? <laughs> It's amazing the way that they're laid out in comparison and what they look like. How many of you remember this in Time magazine? You know, I want to go on record to make this statement. I personally think that Ronald Reagan was a good president. Uh, Ronald was our governor here in this state. I had the privilege at the time of riding in the Sacramento County Sheriff's Posse on the big Palominos with all of the black saddles with all the silver and everything. We were, you know, four-state drill champions, okay? And when he became president, we were his honor guard as governor, and he requested that we would lead the inaugural parade when he was first done. What an honor! He even wanted us to do it the second time, but if you remember right, he got snowed out. There was no parade that day. The snow was deeper than you can believe. But Reagan did something that still stands to this day. What is it that Reagan did? When on Christmas vacation, all of the politicians were gone home, Congress, and of course the Senate, wasn't working. He appointed an ambassador to the Vatican and then dared Congress to change it when they came back. You know, think about it for a minute, folks. There are 52 million registered Catholic voters. You're going to come back and void what Reagan did? What a way to commit political suicide, right? Now, I want to go on record of this. Why was there a big argument over it? Many of our congressmen and House of Representatives and, sen and senators believed that it would be an ambassador to the church. And why should we have an ambassador to the church and we have one with anybody else? But you must remember something. The Vatican is a country. The Pope is also the king. And as we have with any other country, we have an ambassador. So was Reagan way off base in relationship to what he did? No, but talk about a big argument. Wow, it was something. Eventually, it'll lead or control the whole world. As we find this, in order for the United States to lead the world to worship the first beast and receive a mark, the United States must first lead the world politically, economically, and militarily. Do we? Do we? Yes. Absolutely. Here's an interesting statement. I believe that the United States, as the world's only superpower, and the Holy See, that's the Vatican in case you don't know what that means, the Holy See as the only worldwide moral political sovereignty, have significant roles to play in the future, and their actions will impact the lives of people in all parts of the globe. 
Thomas Milady, U.S. Ambassador to the Vatican. That's quite a statement, isn't it? It's amazing how closely they come. It speaks like a... How does a nation speak? Through its laws. Isn't that right? That's how a nation speaks. It's through its laws. It's legislative body. This is how we speak as a nation. Okay? And it says that it's going to speak like a dragon. Anybody know what this is a picture of? The U.S. Supreme Court. And by the way, this is the highest law in the land, not the President of the United States. This is where the buck stops. Even he answers to the Supreme Court. Are you with me? How many chief justices do we have? One chief justice. And how many Supreme Court members? Nine altogether. Do you know how many of them are Catholic? Seven. Just a matter of information. (laughs) Do you know what Pope John Paul II said? Any politician that that votes against the Christian principles of the church should be excommunicated. Now, that doesn't mean something if you're not Catholic. But if you're Catholic, that means you do not pass go and you go directly to hell. And you're not getting prayed out of there. Hello? This is what Pope John Paul said. Making it clear? You know, I like a a young vice president who couldn't spell potato. You know, it says equal justice under the law. And he said, we've reached a time in America you'll get all of the justice you can afford to buy. Haven't we reached that? Really is. The more money you got, the more is legal than the other thing, isn't it? And yet it isn't really equal justice. How about this? Time magazine. One nation under God. Has the separation of church and state gone too far? When we look inside, it shows Chief Justice Rehmquist and Chief Justice Scalia at morning mass. And the journalists from Time magazine approach Chief Justice Rehmquist and ask him a question about the separation of church and state. Here's what Rehmquist said. The wall of separation between church and state is a metaphor based on bad history. It should be frankly and explicitly abandoned. Highest law in the nation and the number one lawmaker. Bad history? I wonder what books he was reading when he went to high school. Wasn't the same ones I read, but anyway. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they asked him this question as he was coming out of morning mass with Chief Justice Scalia, okay, at the same time. They might make an image to the beast that had the wound and did what? Live. As we look at this, remember we talked about this last night, Pope John Paul's apostolic letter, which is supposedly directly from God. What did he call for? Well, in paragraph 66, subparagraph 110 and 112, Sunday rest as a worker's right, which the state must guarantee. Christians will naturally strive to ensure that civil legislation respects their duties to keep Sunday Holy. Now tell me what he's asking for. Laws to make people be able to keep Sunday. Respect it. Isn't that right? We also discovered in paragraph 79, subparagraph 126, Sunday is firmly established in tradition and it must be supported by civil legislation. Calling for laws to what? Worship on the day that the Catholic Church has made. It's that simple. The Pope has the power to change times to aggregate laws and even to dispense with all things, even the precepts of Christ. That's quite the power, isn't it? Remember what Jesus said, though? Do they worship me teaching for doctrines the commandments of men? Wow. But doesn't American Constitution guarantee religious freedom? Isn't our country a Protestant nation? Well, it says Congress shall make no laws respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, which is the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. 
Isn't that wonderful? Now what's really happening? Sunday observance. Finding of the council, city council. The city council hereby finds and declares that the carrying on of unrestricted business activities in the city on Sunday does not result in the due observance of Sunday as a day of rest. It is contrary to public health, the general welfare, safety, and morals of the citizens. The restriction on Sunday sales, it shall be unlawful for any person, firm, or corporation to sell, offer for sale, any goods or merchandise in the city between 1 a.m. Sunday and 1 p.m. Sunday. Now, directly below that is a clip from the local newspaper, Daily Reflector. This is right, right now, today, okay? It says, city is taking Walmart to court. Now, you've probably never heard of them. <laughs> Greenville City Attorney has taken legal action in an effort to get Walmart Supercenter to comply with the Blue Law Ordinances, City Code Section 11-8-2, Sunday Closing Law. Walmart stated the law is unconstitutional and confusing, to say the least. No, we will not consider a compromise when suggested by the city attorney, Bob Oates. He had suggested closing all of the sections of the store, except for the pharmacy and the grocery, which are exempt from the law. We will appeal the lower court's ruling, said Keith Morrison, spokesman for Walmart. Now, by the way, Walmart's got a buck or two. About three years ago, they passed Exxon. Okay? They did appeal... Guess what? The upper court upheld the lower court's decision. They appealed again, and it upheld the position. So finally, they decided to appeal to the Supreme Court of North Carolina. As we look at this, I want to read to you what the Supreme Court of North Carolina's findings were. And by the way, you see this number down here at the bottom, okay? If you go online to a legal law Library, you can look this case up and actually read the entire case. It's a matter of public record. I sound like I'm booming just a little bit, Albert, am I? No. Where Sunday closing laws or ordinances have been challenged in North Carolina, the Supreme Court has employed the reasoning in the line of cases of McGow versus Maryland, Cruzan versus Tomlinson, and Raleigh Mobile Home Sales versus Tomlinson. So you can see this is not the first time it's been appealed to the Supreme Court. What did they find where Walmart's concerned? Human experience has demonstrated there is a close relationship between health, morals, and general welfare, on the other hand, and a regular observance of one day in seven as a day of rest and recreation on the other. It is also demonstrated the practical necessity of legislation designating a specific day of the week for that purpose and prohibiting activities on that day which interfere substantially with the accomplishment of such purpose. The choice of the day of week to be observed as a day of rest and relaxation is for legislation. Obviously, it cannot choose a day which accords with the wishes and the religious convictions of all people. In making its choice, legislation may take into account the fact that Sunday is a day of the week which a great proportion of people would observe as a day of rest apart from the statute. Whether this be due to religious conviction of such persons or their traditions and customs. Now, you may think this is a single case. There are 16 states in the United States of America have a similar law. There's only one state in the United States that doesn't have Sunday laws. Do anybody know what that state is? Alaska. Everybody else does. California does. I can remember in Sacramento County when I was a boy, if you went into the grocery store, you couldn't buy any meat because they'd either take it out or cover it up, and it was against the law to buy meat on Sunday. All these laws are still in effect. They just got to be politically incorrect, so they quit enforcing them. But they're all on the book. Walmart has appealed this decision 
to the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Does the Supreme Court of the United States have to hear the case? No, they can refuse it. But they're hearing more and more and more religious cases. Have you noticed? You know, the Boy Scouts, uh, money going to uh, for parochial schools, tax money. You know, they've upheld Louisiana's rule They've and the Boy Scouts and so on. They're hearing more and more of this all the time, folks. Do you realize what happens if the Supreme Court of the United States decides to hear the case? And if they uphold North Carolina's decision, do you realize what we've got overnight? Only by the grace of God it's being held down right now. I'm telling you that, right? It's very much. You know, we are a Christian nation, we say. And Congress shall pass no laws. But what are the legislatures saying? It's our decision. It's for us to make that decision. Now, will Protestant churches unite with the beast power in urging Sunday legislation? Well, let's take a look. This goes all the way back to 1976. This is a day or two, right? Harold Lindsay, Christian Today. All businesses, including gas stations and restaurants, should be closed every Sunday by force of legislation flat through the, duty, through the duly elected officials of the people. Well, how about this one? New book, Pat Robinson's The New World Order. The next obligation that a citizen of God's world order owes to himself is to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It is a command for the personal benefit of each citizen. Higher civilizations rise when people can rest and draw inspiration from God. Laws in America that mandate a day of rest. Now, he states what laws? Have been nullified as a violation of church and state. As an outright insult to God and his plan, only those policies that can be shown to have a clearly secular purpose are recognized. It's not the duty of any particular group of people. It's not the duty of the church. But it's the duty of the government of its people thus to proclaim a day as Sabbath to be universally observed. How Universally? I thought we were talking about the United States universally observed throughout the length and breadth of our land. Sunday is the Lord's day. If, as a na- if, if we as a nation would escape the doldrums of increased trouble as God's hand rests heavily upon his people, opposition to Sundays nationally declared must cease. Now, I know some of you know this, gentlemen. How many of you remember him? He passed away here just about two years ago now. Jerry Farwell said, All Americans would do well to petition the President and the Congress to make a federal law and an amendment to the Constitution, if need be, to establish the Sabbath as a national day of rest. And he goes on to say, The Lord's Day Sunday. Now, most of you recognize he was a a Baptist pastor and a leader of the Baptist, you know, he would write an article every month. And one month he was writing an article about this, and he came out and said it, and it was just amazing. He's saying we need to make laws. And his statement was this, and if these Sabbatarians object, they ought to frankly be arrested and put in jail. What a statement. A man of God... Any of you recognize, is this what Jesus did? You need to force a law and make everybody go to the sanctuary. Huh? Is that what he said? You know, everybody has to go to the synagogue. That's what Jesus said, wasn't it? No, Jesus said, if you love me. Here we have representatives that claim to be Christian representatives. Evangelicals and Catholics make a move for unity. This goes to Houston Chronicle way back in 1994. How about this one? Let's move up to 2005. (laughs) Time Magazine. You remember this one? Evangelicals unite together. Unity is what they're calling for. Once bitter enemies on the theological battlefield, evangelical Protestants and conservative Catholics are finding common ground 
on the political scene. By the way, do you know that Protestants don't even like to be called Protestants anymore? That's why they come up with the word evangelicals. See, Protestant indicates you're protesting against something. Well, they're not protesting anymore. So they want to be called evangelicals, not Protestants. I believe, Pat Robertson says, that the emerging alliance, the emerging partnership of Catholics and evangelical Protestants is going to be the most powerful force in the electoral in the 1990s and beyond. And anybody that ignores that alliance is going to make a big mistake. Let me ask you a question. When did it ever be a question that we should even ask Someone running for president if they're a born-again Christian. Not there, is it? But yet, what if every candidate has to answer today? Are you a born-again Christian? And who's asking the questions? Christianity. What a difference it's making. Evangelicals and Catholics towards a common mission together. Charles Colson, Richard John Newith. More generally, the spread of the charismatic movement and then of the songs and prayers and worship styles going well beyond official charismatic circles has done a great deal to reduce the barriers between Catholics and evangelicals. Billy Graham's cooperative evangelism in which all of the churches of the area are invited to share is one such charismatic gathering where the distinction between Protestant and Catholic vanishes and Christ-centered fellowship and joy are further examples. Hmm. Ralph Alder, who is the Archbishop of the International Communion of the Charismatic Episcopal Church, recently shocked his audience by what he said. He preached a message about the failure of Protestantism and its forthcoming destruction. About the same time at an international conference of parish clergy in Atlanta, three speakers shared his assessment. Dr. uh, Ben Johnson, a professor at Columbia Theological Seminary, and said, we are seeing the end of Protestant as it is known, and we do not know what will follow. Dr. John Hall of the United Church of Canada said, we are witnessing the demise of Protestantism. Pastor Alder believes that the word of the Lord told us that what we are witnessing is an end of the error. Talking about the error of the Gentiles. Are you with me? We all sense what God was saying to us. We are witnessing the end of Protestantism. God's church is Catholic, he declared. It was Catholic in the beginning and it will be Catholic in the end. That's what they're asking for. All of them. Here's in the Sacramento Bee. Now, I got this one right away because, if nothing else, I lived in Sacramento, so I got the Bee. October 31st, 1999. That's a day or two ago, right? Narrowing, narrowing a, margin, a major divide that has separated the Roman Catholics and the Lutherans since the 16th century. The United States' largest Lutheran church on Tuesday endorsed a joint declaration on how humans are saved from eternal damnation. The agreement declares, in effect, that it, the Protestant Reformation, was all a misunderstanding. The agreement is significant beyond the dispute over the doctrine that it resolves. It has deep implications for future relations among Catholics and Protestant, said the theologians and the church leaders. Many said this accord gives added promise to the ideal of their denominational champion of full communion or merger between the churches. It was all just a misunderstanding. (laughs) Martin Luther says the just shall live by faith. If it was possible, I believe he turned over (laughs) his grave. Closer than ever before. I want to tell you something. 1959. There was a young man running for president. And this nation was up in arms. 
Anybody remember his name? John F. Kennedy. Do you remember why this nation was up in arms? He was Catholic, and we couldn't have a Catholic president. Why, if we have a Catholic president, we will once more reach across the Gulf of the Atlantic and clasp hands with Catholicism, and we can't do that. We're a Protestant nation. I remember in the Democratic Convention, first televised convention, by the way, that young man had to stand up and swear an oath that if he was elected president, he would not allow his religion to interfere with his job as president. Anybody else remember that? I do. Now, he was elected by a very narrow margin. You all understand that. Other than his um, personal discretions, I think he was a good president. Now, I was ready to go to Cuba if we had to. You know, Lyndon Johnson from Texas convinced John Kennedy, coming up for re-election, that if he didn't go to Texas and win over the Texas politicians, there is absolutely no way he was going to get re-elected. So, of course, he set up a date to go to Texas. You all remember what happened. What a sad day in our country. And of course, Lyndon Johnson became president. In 1964, this country was in such a turmoil. We hadn't seen this kind of a turmoil since the <laughs> war between the states. They were killing people you know, in the streets, uh, killing students on campus. All kinds of stuff. And Lyndon Johnson did not know what to do. He sat down and sent to Pope Paul VI, asking him if he would come to America and bring a message of peace. Now, you know the significance I found? In October 1964, Pope Paul VI accepted to come. Now, I know some of you are thinking, what? How many years did God give the old Andalusian world? Come on, guys. Before the flood, how many years did God give the old Andalusian world? The word Andalusian through you? Is that it? How long? 120 years, right? 120 years. I believe God's going to be more generous in the last days than he was then, don't you? He's not willing that any should perish. Do you understand that? But we know from the 2,300 year prophecy, in 1844, Jesus moved from the holy to the most holy, and the judgment hour began. Add 120 years to 1844 and tell me what you get. 1964. Hello? Isn't it also significant in October? Are we living on borrowed time tonight? I believe we are very much, folks. We've been living on borrowed time and God has just patiently waiting but Peter says, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Wow, isn't that amazing? Well, Pope Paul came to America January 1965. He filled Yankee Stadium to overflowing capacity. A matter of fact, the, the news people said there seemed to be more Protestants there than there were Catholics. After he was on the East Coast for a while, he flew out here to California. And he visited some places in California. And the day came for him to fly back home. And at LAX, ABC, NBC, CBS, all of them were there, right? And uh, a fellow by the name of Robert Schuler. Anybody ever heard of him? 
When Pope Paul's plane took off, Robert Schuller on national TV looked up and pointed at the plane and said, Now we can truly pray, Our Father, which art in heaven. Blasphemy! On national television, and this nation was silent. Would you say things were changing since 1959 to 1965? (laughs) They've changed more and more and more from that. We had a Texan that we decided to send to the White House. I want to read you a statement. Bush keeps faith top agenda. The president says the days of discriminating against churches are over. This was on ABC News, February 1st, 2001. As we look at this, we discover Bush pays tribute to Pope John Paul II. For the first three months... Of his presidency, he visited every cardinal and every bishop in America. President President George Bush Jr. He promised them to use all of his presidential power to bring Pope John Paul's teachings here in America. Is it a fact? Let's read it. Reuters, March 21st, 2001. The best way to honor Pope John Paul II, truly one of the great men, is to take his teachings seriously, to listen to his words and to put his words and teachings into action here in America. Bush told the Catholic leaders gathered in the White House East Room, this is a challenge we must accept. A young man we couldn't elect because he was a Catholic. And he promised not to use his religion as president and wouldn't let it interfere to a president that says he'll use all of his power. Hmm. Wow. This is a challenge we what? Must accept. By the way, (laughs) four months later, Bush went on a little vacation and visited Pope John Paul II at his summer uh, castle and stayed there for a period of five days. Isn't that amazing how things change in a few years? Revelation 13 says, And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. We understand what the mark in the forehead is. It's a choice. It's a decision. That nobody might be able to buy or sell, save that he had a mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Time Magazine, Future Money. Anybody remember this? (laughs) No checks, no cash, no fuss. If the bankers have their way, they want to completely do away with cash, checks, and credit cards. Why? It's a multi-million dollar fraud. Okay, it really is. Multi-million dollar fraud. What are they going to use? Well, we're going to (laughs) look. Some people say, I'm never going to accept a national ID card. How many of you got a driver's license? You already got a national ID card. You remember George Bush? (laughs) He asked Congress for $80 million to connect every DMV in the United States to a masked computer in Washington, D.C. When that deputy sheriff pulls you over and takes your driver's license and goes like this, they can read it in Washington. Hello? We already got a national ID card, okay? Isn't it amazing how they can pull the wool over the American people's eyes? They already do these things, folks. It's there. But I'm going to tell you something. They're going to make in your right hand. If you make money, you won't be able to buy or sell. Does that represent work? retirement, so on and so forth, right? How many of you here already get direct deposit? Huh? Direct deposit. Mm-hmm. Do you know that the 18-wheelers can go flying across the San Francisco Bay Bridge and never even have to slow down? The computer on the Bay Bridge reads the computer on board the truck and automatically debits the account of the company. 
We're already where we are, folks. How are they going to do it? In Florida, several years ago, there were scientists that created a computer chip. The computer chip is so small, it can be injected through the eye of a needle. There was even some arguments between some of the scientists of what they would use to be able to power it, and they finally decided on a lithium crystal, but some of them were opposed to that because if the lithium crystal ever gets out of its containment, it will cause a very large, noisome sore, like a boil. Go back and read Revelation 16. What's the first plague? Anyway. Folks, they've run experiments in in Florida with it on newborn babies, voluntarily. Why? If a baby's snatched, they can read that baby within seconds of where it's at. You know, they can read a postage stamp in the middle of of a tennis court now. You know, I know we watch some of those movies and how we can see they zero in on... Listen, that's not just the movies. That's real life, folks. Really is. Do you know how gullible we are? <laughs> Hello, OnStar? Yeah, I locked my keys in the car. Oh, boop. Thank you. Now, let me ask you a dumb question. If they can go boop, can't they also go boop? Huh? Do you know right now that there have been many people who have stolen cars that have OnStar and they call OnStar, OnStar shuts the car off and the police come driving up to a car that won't move. And we all need one, don't we? Uh, I'm going to give you some insider trading information. Applied Digital Solutions. It's also the parent company of Sky Angel. Sky Angel is a company that has been putting computer chips into animals for quite some time. Sky Angel's CEO, two years ago, was on the program, okay, with Regents and whatever her other name is, Kelly. The reason he was there was to give them a demonstration. A demonstration of what? How this chip worked. Why were they concerned about a demonstration? Because Medicare had just approved that if you are on Medicare, you can have the chip put in and they will pay for it. And so the CEO was on television to give him a demonstration. And they asked him about the deal. And he says, oh yes, everything on your medical, all your medical history, all of your prescriptions, everything's there. And Regis said, well, can you show us? And so he picked up this reader and went like this. Okay? And up on the screen came all this information. And Regis said wait a minute, there's a whole lot more there than just medical. He said, oh yeah, he said, they know your bank accounts, how much you got in them, they know your driving record, they know everything about you in relationship to you, it's all there. As long as you have that chip. As long as you got that chip. Now, is the chip the mark? No. The mark is Sunday, isn't that right? But let me ask you a question. If they pass a law that to be able to use your money next week, you have to go to church this Sunday, how are they going to tell whether you went or not? Huh? (laughs) You have to go through and have your thing read that it registers so you can continue to use your ATM card? We can, okay, we can. Uh, A matter of fact, in some circles, we're even given advice that when some of this first comes down, we should use Sunday as a day to be able to uh, give people Bible studies and do religious things on Sunday. Are you with me? But can you get away with that all the time? 
Why? Because Satan says everybody on the face of the earth will worship me. Hello? You know when a bull jumps the fence and if it doesn't quite make it, he's got his feet in the air on both sides of the fence. Hello? If you can't make a decision for God today, while we have the ability, what makes you think you're going to make a decision later? Hmm? Just think about it. You know, think about it. But I want you to understand, is the chip the mark? No. The mark of the beast is Sunday. What's the purpose in it? Just keeping track. This may throw you for a loop. The Pentagon currently is studying replacing the dog tag with this chip. The reason is, if a bomb goes off and you've got body parts laying everywhere, you can read the chips that are there and know exactly who it was that got killed. Pentagon right now, considering it. Listen, if you want to buy stock that it's going to go up, you just go online, look up Applied Digital you know, Solutions, and they're selling stock, and it's going to go up. I personally am not going to give them any of my money, but folks... We're in a time today of a computer age. Do you understand? Do you realize how Satan is lining everything up to happen? The only reason it hasn't happened yet is God's love. God's love holding the four winds of the earth because he has people he hasn't reached yet. Like Pastor Stan says, he loves his children. He's not willing any should be lost. But time's going to run out. And we're living on that edge right now. The three angels' message. Receive the messages to the world. The first angel says, worship the creator. The third angel says, don't worship the beast. As we look at this, the second angel says, Babylon is fallen. Is fallen. And the fourth angel says, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her plagues. Where are we living? What's important tonight? Have you given your life to Jesus tonight? You don't even know if you got till tomorrow. You know, you may not even have to face this can't buy or can't sell. But if you haven't given your life to Jesus tonight, so what? You can still be lost. You've got to make a decision in your heart. Jesus says, I am the way, follow me. And the decision you need to make, I'm going to follow you all the way. I don't care what happens. Because I know something nobody else knows. We win. Hello. We win. And if that doesn't jerk your heart, nothing will. We're living in this last moment. You know, before we can say no to the mark of the beast, you must say yes to the seal of God. Does that make sense? Jesus is waiting at the door of your heart for an answer. Will you decide to move under his Sabbath banner as evidence that you have chosen him as your creator and savior? The choice is up to you. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Because they can't do anything to me that I still don't win. How many of you want to be winners? Let's stand together as we pray. Father, Tonight, as we have opened your word and we have read and we have seen what's happening and history has proven itself right before our eyes, Father, let's not become alarmist. Let's not run out of here and start telling everybody that, you know, they they have to do this or they have to do that. You know, this is happening and that's happening. No, Father, put a smile on our face. 
send us out that we can tell others what Jesus has done for us. We can tell others that we're the winners. How would you like to join the winning side? Nobody can be scared into heaven, Father. Only those who love you. Fill our hearts with the Holy Spirit to love you enough to choose to follow you though the heavens may fall. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.